Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're sitting down with BJJ Black Belt, Matt Roca, who was once part of the legendary Lion's Den out in California. Before we get started, don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you like what you're seeing and you want to help support our featured athlete, coaches, and guests, make sure you subscribe and share. We're doing a special giveaway of $100 to Canadian Protein. All you need to do is be a subscriber and leave a comment on the video. We'll be announcing the winner the week of March the 1st, so make sure you keep an eye out. We are powered by Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. If you're looking for Canada's top cannabis stop, look no further than Alex and his crew at Spirit Leaf. With his knowledgeable staff, you're going to be able to find all the THC and CBD products of the highest quality. Online curbside pickup is available, but the stores are also open. Don't forget to like our Instagram and their Instagram, and you'll be able to save some money. We are also sponsored by Project XGuard. Project XGuard is an amazing program, helping underprivileged youth get connected to Jiu-Jitsu throughout the GTA. If you know anybody who would benefit from the gifted Jiu-Jitsu in their life, make sure you contact us or Project XGuard, and we'll help them get started with some amazing instructors. Thanks, everybody, for watching, and enjoy the podcast. Good man, pleasure to be here with you guys. You sound you sound very excited there, Aaron. Okay, guys. Okay, guys. We got Matt Roca here, guys. Is, is, is Bernardo Freire there with you? Okay, guys. It's a it's a huge honor for me, you know, to have Matt Roca on the podcast on the choking hazard, a podcast. No, but he, he 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 might be trying to be uh, Gordon's handler after last night. I think. <laughs> oh man, did you did you guys watch that at all? Uh, I I saw certainly aftermath, like just on social media and such. As I, I was trying to take in the in, in the fight card on Flow Grappling, I mean, obviously amazing matches and stuff. But uh, man, it'll be interesting to, to to hear what exactly the deal was. Right, three three sides to to any truth, and um, it'll be it'll be interesting to hear what the deal is there. But it's uh, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what your guys' take is on it, but it was just pretty some pretty wild stuff. So, Aaron, uh, I guess we'll start with this. What was your take on the situation uh, that happened? Well, as we're recording this, it happened uh, last night, but. Um, take us through like what happened for those for those that are listening to this that have been living under a rock and <laughs> don't know what happened exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, I, I actually find it quite fascinating because, I mean, like, obviously everybody knows that Andre Gaval and Gordon Ryan have been back and forth throughout the entire, like, God knows, six years now running, I think it is, as far as, like, are they going to fight? Are they not going to fight? all that kind of jazz. And the whole thing has recently been all about Atos versus DDS squad. And supposedly, again, like you said, three stories to every story, but apparently Gordon Ryan, after the Craig Jones fight, Gordon Ryan went up to Andre, went to shake his hand. Andre then flipped him off. And then basically they didn't say anything, whatever. 
Gordon leaves, and then Andre chased him down in the back, started talking to him, pushed him. Then Gordon Ryan slapped him twice, and then the whole thing exploded. <laughs> like yes. this is like crazy. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like I look at it where it's obviously it's a lot of. And again, a lot of people online are going, oh, well, that's not the martial art way, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's a lot of takes to people saying this this is bad for the sport. I think this is a lot of emotion just online and just people just, everything's just boiling over to the extreme now. And again, is it insinuated by Gordon or is it insinuated by Andre, I don't know. I think it's just two guys that just can't communicate properly, and now it's just gone overboard. <laughs> now, maybe my ears are just failing me. I'm I'm not a spring chicken, right? But um, in the one, um, I don't know if it, if you even would have constituted an interview on fro, flow grappling. Um, Gordon was talking, and he said that uh, Galvao said something to him. It almost sounded like uh, Gordon got triggered because it was kind of a, a hit on 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 Gord senior who obviously recently uh, passed and maybe i'm wrong maybe i misunderstood what he said or maybe it was a slip of the tongue or something like that but it almost seemed like there was something that galvao said that kind of would almost serve like a trigger so if that's something that could have created that that emotional response and then ramp things up and, 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 and like i mean there was clearly the, the fuse is already lit I just don't know if, if what that exchange was was necessarily the tipping point that got it to the point where now they're, uh, they're, they're really ramping things up. And, and if, so, if there's something that was said to show like a disrespect to Gord senior. Yeah. I can see why someone would get triggered over something like that. Right. Oh, absolutely. And that's so fresh too. I mean, like, that's not like it was, that's just happened like less than less than two months ago. So, I mean, for sure, he's definitely going to get triggered over something like that. I mean, was it a slip of the tongue? We don't know. I think we'll get more details as, you know, the couple of days go by and tempers like they're going to find more footage guarantee. You. I know <laughs> Flo's got like all sorts of angles on everything. I think the only angle they have right now of like the actual physical altercation is the, the one that's totally blacked out. But then you got yeah. the one that where Gordon's doing the interview and then basically like, <laughs> like I never, I never realized how huge um Gabby Gabby Garcia. <laughs> yes. oh my god <laughs> she's massive yeah. like yeah. like to, she's to, a tank like, to put it in, to, to put it in to put it in perspective you have Andre Galbao who I I've, I've met in person um just a big stocky dude and then Gordon who's also he's he's not a small guy either yeah. and then you have Gabby Garcia who just looks physically more imposing than both of them somehow. <laughs> like like when and, she came over to like grab Andre, I was like, what on earth is this? Like, well, I think it caught everybody off guard because like, like I think it was Gio Martinez that walks up with only like one sock on or one shoe on or something like that, <laughs> right? And I think everyone was just completely taken off guard by it. So some, I think Andrew Wiltsey was one of the people who had uh, – um, uh, phone footage, like iPhone footage or something, or at least that's the perspective I got because you could certainly hear him in the background of it. But I think that caught everybody off guard, right? But but who knows what's actually uh, taking place behind the scenes, right? No, you don't. Uh, my my question is about like flow grappling. Is I don't know. I know you wanna you wanna hype fights, and is this a way to do it? Cause like now they're put, they're putting out footage. I, they're definitely stirring the pot. I would say flow grappling is 
in this situation where they're putting out footage of like, oh, well, this is Galval flipping off Gordon in one Instagram post. And then in another one, it's the slapper around the world, Charlie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? When, um, when, when Connor was really ripping on Khabib, I think Khabib genuinely took it personal. And I, I actually found myself having a lot more respect for Khabib because he said, you know, you insulted my family, you insulted my religion. And that's something that's very near and dear to his heart. So I think that really ramped things up for him. Now, the, the collateral on that is obviously the, the, the pay-per-view rates were, were off the charts. But at least as far as Khabib goes, from his perspective, that was very real. Now, what's taking place between Galvao and Gordon, who knows? And, and again, it's all subject to one's interpretation. And, and the, the vibe that I got off that, specifically that one interview, was that now it's becoming kind of something personal where he's taking shots at Gord Senior. And again, maybe I'm wrong. That's just how I took it. But when you get things like that going on, that definitely ramps things up. And for sure, I mean, you, you just look at the, the amount of hits on social media and how many people are, are, are watching and, and checking in and making comments and stuff like that. Yeah, now you've just really ramped things up in terms of, uh, of interest. So if there actually is some type of a face-off, then yeah, there's going to be a lot more interest to, to watch that, for sure. So let me ask you this, Matt, because obviously – as for those of you who don't know, Matt, you used to be part of the Lions Den back in the early days of MMA, especially coming into Ontario and Canada. So obviously you've seen the the morphosis of like the early days of MMA and then slowly, obviously this more grappling style. But like when you get, what's it like when you look at these like tensions happening, were they like, are they kind of like shallow compared to the ones that you guys used to have back in the day or is it kind of like more like okay things are just more out there now because of social media uh you know what i think like like friction and conflict it, it's it's been around well before mma really went mainstream in the early 90s and and that's something that's going to continue to carry on what well well beyond now um back then there was it was very clear that there there was a friction between here's a blast from the past tank Abbott, right his crew <laughs> right when tito ortiz was was a was a brand new dude coming out there and he, and he was wrestling with tank and, and that crew um and then and then the lions Den team and there, there was a lot of stuff that you know maybe people just aren't aware of like at the ultimate ultimate when when ken fought uh brian johnston after that fight there was almost a complete blowout behind the stage that people probably don't know about or would, would never know about but that kind of thing very real the uh the friction that happened between shamrock and ortiz because of ortiz wearing uh like let's just say a very derogatory shirt with regard yeah. to uh to guy mesger that that was very real that was after my time um but uh and, and like if you even take it from a different pr perspective like uh bjj and mucho libre Right. So like uh, Henzo and Eugenio Taddeo, like that stuff is very, very real. And um, when I competed in Shudo, uh, Eugenio had had a dude there who fought Asahi and actually upset him. He, he did really, really well. I think his, his, his last name is Nagara. Um, but Eugenio was there and that might have been just after he had fought 
uh, Hanzo in Brazil, and that fight got derailed because there was like gunfire in the venue. Like, oh my. I mean, the, the stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, but I mean, at the time, like that, like that's just kind of the stuff that that goes on. Um, obviously, we're we're not seeing like those extremes, and that's a good thing. But uh, I think the conflict and friction is something that it it's always going to be around. And I don't know if it's just uh, um, you know a conflict of, of the fact that you've got a lot of alphas together or egos or this, that, the other, but uh, no, man, like that, that stuff was going on back then. It's going to continue to, to happen far beyond now too. I think it, it's really telling that like all the, the craziness that probably happened in like the early MMA days, when you look at like all the craziness that you've probably seen and then you see what happened yesterday, it, it, it's not that bad in comparison, really. <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're not seeing like uh, gun violence in relation to like uh, the the frictions between teams and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know. I think I think you, you've got you've got a whole bunch of, of different personalities that are around. Gordon, I mean, no one could ever dispute probably the the greatest grappler of this generation. Um, and you know, he, he has a, a charisma about him, you know, and, uh, and then you've got like a Craig Jones who, you know, very, very, uh, um, very talented in his own regard, but very, very different. You know, he's the one that walks up and I, and I do believe that him and Gala did shake hands, uh, after that match. Um, you've got like John Danaher, who's like, he meshes academia with, with, with jujitsu. And a lot of people admire that. I certainly admire that. Um, yeah, just lots of different personalities, right? But um, yeah, it's 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 quite the thing. There should be a reality show about about, about uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for sure, because you've got a lot of characters. I mean, Dan Her Death Squad's got a ton of them, right? But uh, a lot of talent there too. Tons of talent there. Well, yeah, I think like one of the best things that crew did was heading to Puerto Rico, so they could just like be outside of the U.S. train the way they wanted to, but. Like, I, like Puerto Rico is still part of the U S or is it, it yeah. is right. Okay. So it's yeah. still part of the Te- technically kind of sort of, yeah, <laughs> it's like it colonized or kind of, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. But I think that was good for them to get out there and then they can kind of do their own thing. And, but then obviously I think that it's like the rivalries, right? Those, I don't think it's a martial arts thing. I think it's a rival, a gym thing where these guys are just rivals and that's how it's going to be for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and inevitably these guys are going to end up facing off with with one another, like the uh, the the Rotulo brothers. Who I think they're fantastic young guys, very bright, and they're already doing amazing things. They're going to continue to do amazing things. Uh, they face off with a couple of Death Squad guys. I think it was uh, um, uh, Nikki Ryan and uh, Ethan Collinson fought them both. And, and now, did both of the Rotulo brothers get the get the wins out of that? I, I believe, think they did. I believe so. I believe. I, I believe think. Cade, so. I believe Cade beat Ethan. I watched that match a while ago. I thought Ethan personally won it, but he didn't get the decision. But then um, Ty beat uh, Nikki Ryan. Nikki, yeah, that he, one. I and know. that's he, he controlled that pretty handedly. And when you have elite elite uh, athletes, inevitably they're gonna they're gonna continue to cross paths. And and whether we're talking, um, you know, like. Third Coast, Kasai, Polar, like there's, you've got obviously a whole bunch of promotions that are going to put on event. They, they want the best athletes. The, the spectators want to see the best, best athletes uh, get after it. 
Um, so inevitably, these guys are going to continue to cross paths. And if there's and if there's frictions that occur or continue to build on on pre-existing things, we're we're going to see a whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, I guess for the promoters, they're going to make more money because it just garners a greater degree of interest. But at the end of the day, um, if we're seeing elite athletes, you know, put it on the line, bring their A game, we're we're all going to be treated to some pretty awesome matches. And uh, you know, they get the accolades from 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 racking up some some major W's, right? Yeah. And you know what, at the end of the day, like there's been so many rivalries, I think in MMA and in jujitsu, like this isn't the first one that's boiled over and it's probably not going to be the last. Oh no. It will not be the last. Certainly not going to be the last. No, Gordon, I think especially is, is an extremely outspoken dude on, uh, on social media. Um, and like, I think just because he stirs the pot, he gets a lot of people f- firing message in, in as well, but it, it keeps people interested for sure when he's actually, when he's not competing or whatever, but he's done extremely well for himself. He's got, you know, a major following certainly through BJJ Finax. He's got phenomenal material. And like, from that regard, I do believe that like, you know, he, he's very locked on as far as furthering the sport. Like you see some of these messages, people ask him a question about like nuances of technique or, or so on. And he will take that time to, to put that information out. Like, I think he genuinely believes in, in, you know, trying to help develop others and stuff, but you know, he has the angles that he needs to, to push forward on to, to, you know, st- stay in the mix. And I don't mean in the mix in terms of, of his ability, obviously he's uh, he, he really is an anomaly. Right. And, and I mean, Dan or her, who he, I don't think he, he's going to be misleading in terms of what he has to say about things. Like, you know, he says like, like Gordon is a phenom. I mean, he, he is an anomaly. Like, you know, who knows when we'll see someone like him again. Right. So, uh, but yeah. No, hundred percent. So let me ask you, like, how did you initially like get started on your path of like, whether it's being with MMA and also getting connected with like the lion's den because a wretched name, but obviously back then was one of the biggest teams at the time. So it's just, uh, just lots of like, uh, like six degrees of separation, people knowing people. So, uh, long and short of it is, um, I'm a dual citizen Canadian in the United States. And I was working at a place in, in Buffalo, New York. It's, 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 it closed many, many years ago. It's called the pier. It was called the pier. I was working there and this, uh, would have been going back to like the not quite mid nineties, but right around that point in time. UFC is still very, very new and standing around with a bunch of the security because that's what I was doing at that time. And we're just having a conversation about the about the UFC. And um, the, this guy kind of catches wind of, of the conversation. So he joins as well. Uh, his name is Charlie Anzalone. Really, really good guy. I've known him for, for a long time. And the six degrees of separation, he worked at the airport. My mom worked at the airport as well. And um, guaranteed, you guys would both recognize who, who Charlie is. You might not necessarily know the name, but he, he would be one of the guys with the, uh, the Modest State Athletic Commission, the Burgundy suit or whatever, like kind of part, part, part balding. Guaranteed, if you, or if, you, if you pulled him up on the computer, you, you would find him no problem. But um, he, he, would, he had a whole bunch of side hustles on, on the go. He'd been a DJ forever. He promoted kickboxing fights. Um, and uh, he was the guy that I think was able to help Kevin Rozier get into UFC one. So the connection was there and, and you know what he's, he's like a, um, you know, social butterfly kind of guy gets along well with everybody. So he becomes a well-connected guy. 
And um, so he so he joins this conversation with us and says, oh, yeah, you're interested in the UFC. And I've got, you know, you must have seen Kevin Rozier fight. Da-da. And um, I said to him, you know, I would love to watch one of those live. How do you, how do you get tickets to, to see one? He goes, well, tell you what. He goes, I've got a fighter. Uh, his name was Joel Sutton, who I'm gonna I'm gonna have fight in UFC six. If you get a plane ticket, you can come with me to Wyoming. You can tag along and you can get a, a firsthand look at it. So because of the, the airport connection, it wasn't a problem to catch the flight. So go to Wyoming, and I think I was 18 at the time, and just you know I'm like starstruck. You've got all these guys that you've been watching on all the UFCs, boom, right in front of you. Here here they all are, and. Um, Ken was fighting, uh, Ken Shamrock was fighting Dan Severn for the, uh, the super fight. So meet him along with all the others. And uh, Ken Shamrock's dad, Bob Shamrock was there. And for whatever reason, he took a liking to me and he liked to bust chops. So he was busting my chops anytime I ever ran into him during that point in time. It was just, it was just incredible. Um, but, uh, you know, basically shake everyone's hands. Great to meet everyone. This was an amazing trip. Come back home. And as fate would have it, the next UFC, UFC 7, was in Buffalo, New York, right? So uh, some of the guys actually pop into that, that bar, the pier, one, one of them being Ken Shamrock. like, boom, here he is. So talk to him. Hey, wow, this is like incredible that you're here. Hey, where, where are you guys doing your tapering at? And uh, he goes, we, we don't have like a, a spot of our own to do tapering training. I'm like, I can't believe this, right? But, but again, this was early days UFC. It was nothing mm-hmm. like what it is now, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, like give me a second. Let me see if I can help. Because I just, I, I'm a, I was a, a true supporter of the sport and everything. So if there's something that I can do, I'm happy to do it. So I talked to my uh, my Japanese jujitsu instructor uh, Wayne Wells. He's now gone off into the stunt choreography business, doing really well for himself. And I said, Wayne, like these guys don't have a place to train. Like, do you think we can help him out? He's like, of course we can. So um we end up going to buffalo from the niagara region we're picking picking ken and the crew up because scott bazak also fought on that card on the undercard picking them up bringing them to our gym and it's completely off the grid gym's closed um ken said can we get you know some some boxers can we get some of this can we get some of that to to kind of do some tapering with the guys um so you know it was basically just helping facilitate those those private sessions and uh, as the result of that um, Bob says, you know what, we really appreciate what you did. Um, they had taken interest in one of my training partners and, uh, they said, you know, we want to invite this guy's name is Ryan Labaki. We like to invite Ryan to try out for the team, but you know what, Matt, we like you to try out too. So it was kind of, to me, it was like a, like a kind gesture. Um, and I guess as fate would have it, Ryan wasn't able to try out at the time. He ended up trying out. He actually made it late later. Um, but, uh, at the time, everything was just kind of falling into play where there wasn't a reason to not do it. So I trained and, um, flew out to California, uh, tried out and I made it. So it's kind of like, Whoa, like, you know, now everything's going like a million miles a second. And, uh, I decided to go with the flow. So the next thing, you know, I'm, I'm moving out to California. I joined the team. And at that point in time, I would have been about 19. So that's that it was just incredible coincidences six degrees of separation and that and that's how i got out there so the the real key person uh for all that was charlie anzalone and anytime i i bring any of this stuff up i always make a point of of just acknowledging that because it would have never have happened without uh without him okay so you got invited out to california you're training with the lion's den uh, that you're trying out to actually just even get on the team so right 
I've heard some legendary things about lines and practices. Take me through your first one there and uh, how good or not so good it went. The, the first practice or the tryout? The tryout and the first practice. Okay. Like take, take me through overall just the, you know, the whole experience out there. So um, at that time, um, Ken looked like made sure everything was looked after. So there were six of us that tried out. Um, th those that were flying in, we ended up staying um, at the fighter house. So Mike Martell, I don't know if you know Mike or not, but uh, Mike Martell, he, he tried out at that time. There was a guy, Ken Simmons from Toronto. He tried out. There was me. Um, there was a local guy, Roni Roberts. Uh, and, uh, oh my gosh, Austin Long, and there was one other guy. So we're there and, uh, we try out, we go to, um, I think it was like a football stadium in Lodi cause they were in like Northern California and we do a little bit of a warm up, like a short run. And then we're getting into, um, these squats, like these flowing Hindu type squats. I don't know if you've ever seen that before or not, yeah. but. Uh, we have to, to rifle off a whole bunch of those. And that was kind of like that, that, um, that kind of gut checker, that moment of truth is like every, everybody was feeling it. Um, and the people who were able to like muster up that resilience to try and drive through it were the ones that continue to succeed to the next steps of the trial. Cause there was a whole series of things you had to do. Um, the, the Hindu squats were one way to do like a, a, a certain length of doing like a wheelbarrow walk, um, we had to do, oh my gosh, there was, there was a certain amount of, of um, elements, if you will, that we had to do at the football field. And then we went back to the gym there. There was like some sparring there. We had to, to hit pads. And um, by the time we got to uh, hitting pads, there was three of us left. There was uh, Roni Roberts, myself and Ken Simmons. And uh, basically the end of it was um, Ken was, was very uh, direct and said, um, I might take one, maybe two tops. So at the end of it, he selected Roni, who, I, and to this day, I still don't know why, was, was unable to continue with it. So Roni was selected and I was selected. And uh, Roni did not continue. Uh, so then I was the only one at that time that ended up um, ultimately moving in with the guys. We lived on Ken's ranch for a bit. Um, and then we, we actually ended up moving in with Bob Shamrock. But... <laughs> One of the first uh, training scenario, first training uh, um, uh, workouts that I did, and again, this just shows how how like wild things are. We're in Frank's um, Camaro tops down, and uh, Pete Williams I think had a his Bronco. So some of the guys were in the Bronco, and then there was Frank driving his vehicle, and I and, and again, it's this is like as I think about it, like 25 years ago. So my memory is obviously fading on the <laughs> specifics of it, but um, we're on the highway, and Frank decides he wants to pass around a car, and now we're driving head on with a transport truck. Oh, and geez. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, it's like you know what I. I lived a good life. I actually made it this far. I almost made it to work. You know what? Life was good. And I'm, and I'm, I am watching this, like we're about, we're, we're going head on with the transport truck. So, you know, Frank is just cool as a cucumber goes around that transport truck is put on the horn. So Frank's just like, kind of like waving as, as we go on. I'm like, this, this is unbelievable. Right. So I'm going uh, to die. I'm going to die. Oh yeah. That's oh yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I had to kind of get, um, uh, um, like come to peace with, with what was, was about to happen. Right. So we get to uh, San Francisco, find um, 
uh, a park to train at. And uh, the guys were out and, and it was like they were doing a grid search or something. And, and I had no idea what they were doing, but it turns out they were searching for needles. They ended up recovering a couple needles in the area. So we're basically clear. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, but again, you know, I'm not accustomed to this, but you know, they're, they're familiar with the area, feel familiar with the potential concerns. So um, we, we ended up doing a workout and, and there it was just basically stand up stuff like hitting pads and stuff like great workout. And uh, again, just the, 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 the wildness that, that happens. There were, the, there was these two guys that were actually gearing up to scrap um, like in this kind of clearing close to where the park was. One guy had like a blade, the other guy had a chain and these two guys are just totally face off ready to fight. And, and, and the team says to me, go, we want you to go up to, to the Jack guy and say, we're putting our money on you. Like, man, like, these guys are armed. Like, well, you want me to go to the guy with the knife? Like, you guys are, like, and they're like, hey, man, we, we got your back. You got nothing to worry about. And um, so, you know, and, and, and quickly I realized that they're, they're not kidding around with that kind of thing. Like, they, they look out for one another as, as, any, as any team would, even with the, with the new guy that they're going to pick on, that's the, the runt or, or whatever, you, uh, whatever you want to refer to, to the new guy as. But uh, the, tra the training was really intense. And um, they, they, they conjure this, this uh, incredible confidence in you. So um, it's like, you know, you're going to be able to push through anything because you're going to be, you know, built up to be able to do that so that, that never say die attitude, the, the can do attitude. Absolutely. From, from day one, all the way through the entire time I was there, that was definitely instilled in all the people that were there. And I think the reason why so many of the guys at the time were just doing so well and winning titles and so on was because they had that, that mindset, you know? So that's, it was just very, very intense the entire time there. Big growing up thing for me, because I was just a kid when I was there. Right. Mm -hmm. But Yeah. So when you kind of look at like the days of training, obviously out there in California, this type of style, this intensity, and then you kind of see how the, the training methodologies have changed over the years. Do you kind of like kind of shake your head and go like, what the F are we doing? Or like, do you feel like they've changed appropriately over the years and it's just because you didn't know yeah. any better or it's just. Uh, I think um <clears throat> The, at the time, the, the thing that made Lions and very special was that they really had a team approach. So you had um, you had people that were were very gifted strikers. You had Guy Master, who was a, who was a, an outstanding kickboxer. You had Maurice Smith, who was an outstanding kickboxer. Mm -hmm. Ken was a wrestler. Pete, Pete Williams wrestled in in high school, did really well. Jerry Bolander wrestled in high school, did really well. Mikey Burnett wrestled in high school, did really well. So you have all these people that are bringing these skill sets together. And, uh, and then certainly not to mention the skills that were gained from the guys who were training in Pancras in Japan, like Ver Vernon White, people might not realize he is unbelievably technical. Like one of the, one of the most technical guys, his knowledge of submission yeah. out outstanding. Um, Pete spent a bunch of time living in Japan when he fought in their, their, uh, I think it was the Neil blood tournament. He ended up fighting Yuki Kondo in the finals, but had a really good go of it. Um, but I think, uh, Canada been very influenced by, um, by the, by the kind of like the elite, of, of Pancras. So, um, Masa Fanaki, Minoru Suzuki, um, Sammy Saranaka, who I think there was the kind of like that, that pro wrestling kind of crew that decided to splinter off. And then, th then they, they formed Pancras and then Ken got into that because he was a pro wrestler to, to completely kind of get things going. But now all of a sudden it's like, Hey, you're, you're fighting now. And it's, it's integrating, um, groundwork standing, 
um, striking. And uh, I guess as Faye would have it, the UFC is kind of putting things together. So it's like, hey, here he is going overseas to fight. But now you have that kind of, of uh, event uh, happening in North America. So it's like, perfect. You know, you know he, he gets the best of both worlds and is able to do both. But um, it's really that, that um, style of training that, that influenced what we were doing. And at the time, it, it, everything made sense with what we were doing. Now, um, do, do you see an, an evolution in, in, in skill sets and so on and so forth? For sure. But at the time, like in 96, when I was there, that for sure was, was the way to do things. And, and it was an extremely successful formula just by virtue of how the guys were performing in competition. Didn't matter what the rule set was. They were all performing extremely well. Right. Yeah. It, Pancrase was like, for those who don't know, it was like one of the it was a organization in Japan. And like, that was like MMA before MMA was even a thing. It was the rule setting was a little bit different. Like, I don't think you're allowed to punch somebody with a closed fist, but like you can palm strike somebody, you can kick someone's head off submission grappling on the ground. So like, it was basically, it was MMA before MMA was actually a thing. Like, in North America. Yeah, it was very, very unique uh, rule set. So, you know, if you're within arm's reach of the rope and you get caught in a submission, it'd be a catch. So it's, 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 it's a rope, certainly, rope break. Uh, yep. Rope break. Just yeah, like in wrestling. So yeah. So you're, you're still, you're still in the fight, but unless now, if you, unless you sub the guy or, 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 or KO the guy, uh, you know, you're realistically going to lose that fight, but it, 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 that was something as a strategy that helps keep you in, in, in the fight. Right. Um, but yeah, no, there was certainly the, the open hand strikes, but guys get innovative when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're challenged with, you know, what your tactics are, you're going to get innovated. So you would get guys using like a, like a palm heel strike, but like, depending on the angle that they're using, like the, the way they're positioned, you could still get a ton of power and still put your weight behind. It might not be a close fist, but you could certainly still do a lot of damage with it as they did. Cause guys were getting dropped by those, by those mm -hmm. strikes. Right famously uh boss rootin is a yeah, big that's what i was just gonna say pancrease legend palm striking people and breaking faces <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think the guy they, they call him aji and uh that might have been one of boss's first fights but but he he was just going full bore with the open hand strikes and the kicks too and, and he, he ended up dropping the guy right so he his presence was felt uh certainly right out of the gate but he came from um, uh, a real distinguished gym in Hall. I think there was a lot of K1 dudes that, that came out of Boss's uh, gym or, or would have been affiliated with that gym. So like Peter Ars, Ernesto Hoos, there was a slew of guys that, that, that were, were doing very well in the kickboxing realm. And they all came from that, that same area. When you kind of look at like the individuals who you, you know, obviously were training with. So like guys like Ken, Maurice, Vernon White, like what was it like being in the presence of these guys? And you, as you look back on it now and being like, yeah, I was, I was in the mix of the, with all these guys at that time. Um, you know, like to me, I think it's, it, it's very critical to, um, to um, embrace the truth. Right. And like, I, I've got no qualms of saying that I, I was uh, a boy amongst men out there so one i'm young to begin with but the 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 you know the, these are just incredibly um skilled fighters mentally tough alpha as they come 
they were very accomplished in in, in different uh, like combat art domains, whether it's you know wrestling, kickboxing, what have you. You're bringing them all together, and now they're 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 pushing hard to develop themselves, but they're also developing their teammates. They're they're passing on the skill sets to their teammates. Um, so it's um, it's it's incredibly overwhelming because as as a young person being exposed to that, you know, you you want to be able to absorb and you know certainly develop as best as you possibly can. But there was just a, a, such a, a variance between me coming in still very green in terms of a combat sport. And you got the, these guys that are, you know, battle hardened and uh, bring in incredible skill sets and they have the size, the strength, the athleticism, the whole nine yards. Um, it was uh, just an incredible learning curve there, there. There's no bones about that, but no, like it was like, I definitely felt like a boy, boy amongst men for sure. Take us through, um, like, any of your memories during those times that kind of stand out or any anything you want to share with us uh, on here. So, you know, one thing that, that definitely, like, comes to mind, is, like, as, as you're progressing as a, uh, as, as a member, is there, there was a thing they said, oh, you're, you're, you're going to be going through your callousing phase. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to find out what that is. And um, basically what they would do, is when you when you were rolling, um, they would put you to to the to the brink of of a break when it came to submission, like especially the leg stuff, because the guys uh, were definitely known for their for their proficiency with leg locks back in the day. So your your heel hooks, your your knee bars, your toe holds, Achilles locks, all that stuff. And um, the whole idea is that regardless of how bad it is, and 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 to to give you the indication of how skilled they were, they could take you to the brink and hold it. But you stopping was not an option. You had to get out of it. Um, you got caught in a choke. You're going to sleep. The bottom, so you're either defending it or you're going to sleep. So like that, um, you know that toughening, that resilience. That that's something that that's definitely fostered into you. And um, I think you not only do you take that away in terms of you know like athletic performance, but just like in terms of in terms of life. So taking that and applying that to, to school, to work, to, to whatever, right. That can do attitude. Uh, it's, inc it's incredible what you can accomplish and it has everything to do with your, with your, with your mindset. That was a, a major takeaway from that training, but that, that was also some, some, uh, really tough stuff. Um, when Ken was getting ready to fight in the ultimate ultimate, when he fought Brian Johnson, he, um, he developed a really good relationship with Kim Woods who was the strength and conditioning coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. And he was one of the co-founders of hammer strength. So um, Pete Williams and I, we drove cross country in Ken's truck. And, and to give you an idea of how incredibly generous Ken was everything uh, in terms of cost, everything was covered. So money for the hotel, money for, for, for meals, um, gas was covered, everything. He said, basically, I want you guys getting sleep. I want you guys eating well, and I want you guys to get here safely. So we drive from California to, to Ohio and link up with Ken and we room with Ken. And, uh, so we're meeting up with Kim Woods training at the corporate headquarters for hammer strength. And then beyond the weights and such, we were, we were doing our, our, um, uh, our other workers, like the conditioning workouts, the grappling, striking and all that kind of stuff too. So there was some really incredible experiences, um, uh, as a result of being involved with the team. And it's just the, the, that intensity of training was, was constant, no matter what exactly was going on, but those are, it's incredible memories and the stuff that, that stays with you for, for life. Right. 
like um what year did Ken Shamrock get into like the WWE? Was I know that was well after after his fighting days. Well, not really. I guess he was kind of in between. Do you remember? So that would have been right like towards the tail end of my time there. I think it might have been uh the summer of ninety-seven. And it was still I I, I actually think it might have still been the WWF at the time. Yeah, so it would have been yeah, WWF, yeah. Yeah. And um that that opportunity presented itself. And um I think he was trying to make decisions that were in the best interest of his family because at that point in time, it seemed like there there, there was a war pitted against combat sport. And I think that also has to do with how um, the the sport itself was being promoted. So when you're mm-hmm. when you're trying to promote it as human cockfighting, this that the other, it's 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 a prime target for someone who has an agenda. So like, what politician wouldn't wouldn't want to take a run at something like that? And um, th- like things things really started to, to 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 go off the rails when the UFC was supposed to be in Niagara Falls, New York, because um, there, there was a, a few guys on the card. Trey Telegram fought in that card. Jerry Bolander fought in that card. Um, mm. And at the last second, we had to jump on a plane from Niagara Falls, New York, to go to Dothan, Alabama. So, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I know it's, it's, it sounds unbelievable. But Sorry, that's where? Sorry, where? Dothan, Dothan, Alabama. And Dothan. I'm talking like. At least it's not so, East St. Louis. So the, the thing, so to give you an idea how bad things were, the UFC had always had a contingency plan or multiple contingency plans in place because there was always litigation to wherever they were going to hold an event. Um, they'd always be in the courts trying to make sure that there wasn't going to be an injunction filed to prevent the, the, um, that um, uh, event from taking place. So in this case, uh, initially everything was going to be good to go in New York state. And then all of a sudden the government comes in and says, Oh, and by the way, you're going to wear headgear and you're going to do this and this and this and this and this. So they try to impose all these rules at the last second, but the UFC regrouped and they were able to relocate. And I'm talking like literally overnight, get to Alabama and, and that card, uh, that card uh, took off. And um, Jerry ended up winning the, and again, because it was it was so long ago, like the, even the weight classes that might have been referred to as the 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 lightweight tournament, the light heavyweight tournament. It was it was like 199 pounds, and he won that. And Vitor mm-hmm. Belfort, I believe, won the the heavyweight tournament. Like oh, it would have been a good four, old four steroid v- Vitor. <laughs> oh man, and he kept getting bigger. Like I, I, like each 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 event that he came out to, like when he fought uh, like Randy Couture, he kept getting bigger. There was a guy. Uh, I, he was either an IFBB pro bodybuilder or an aspiring pro Curtis Leffler. I'm pretty sure it was the guy's name. And, and I don't know what involvement he had with, with Vitor at the time, but obviously Vitor was Jack and he just seemed to get bigger and bigger at that time. Right. Mm. Um, but it's just, just the, the, just the, like the, those were wild West days and you know, the, the, the UFC do what it could to, to stay alive, but, you're, you're going to have um, an unrelenting financial bleed. And it just seemed like in order to keep this sustainable, the fighters get paid less and less and less and less. Ken had, you know, four, four young kids at the time, three boys and a girl. And, you know, he's got his family to support. He's got, he's got a, a, a crew of athletes that he's trying to support. So I was like, well, what really does make the best sense? 
And I, and again, my, my understanding of it was that um, the, the, the WWF was providing that, that, uh, that financial base that could make things truly sustainable. And that's kind of where, where things went at that time. Wasn't there a, I think there was a fight. It might've been UFC, maybe like eight or nine. It was when, I think it was a rematch between Dan Severn and Ken Shamrock. Yes. Where I, I, I wasn't there. I was probably like 10 at the time, but, <laughs> but <laughs> allegedly the story I heard with that is just speaking of like some of the, the craziness that is like early MMA where I think they're supposed to have a super fight. So they have a super fight, but then I think last second, the rules were changed where you're not allowed to strike with a closed fist. Mm -hmm. I've heard something like that. I've even heard like, if they did that, they would be arrested on the spot. Like I've heard just crazy stuff. So like it's on paper, it may be one of the worst fights you've ever seen because it's just people just doing this for half an hour. (laughs) But yeah. um, were you were you there for that or like what was your I don't, I don't know if you like heard of what happened after but so I managed to to kind of parachute in because again just making making friends with with a bunch of the guys um, Anthony Macias was a guy that I had met that was he fought Dan Severn and I think it was UFC four I got to know him he was he was a real kind guy I did a lot of rolling with him back then. And uh, I knew that he was going to be hanging out. So I, I, I ended up parachuting into Detroit. I think it was UFC 9, I think. I think it was UFC um, 9 in Detroit. I, th- I think it was in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, at the time, was actually a really unpopular card because they decided to stray, at least temporarily, from the tournament. And those were single fights, right? Oh. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And um, it's funny because like every UFC now is single. Well, fights. Yeah, right. <laughs> now it's right. single. Yeah. 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 And uh, no, that, that that absolutely is on point that there, there were certain rules that they weren't supposed to have closed fist strikes. And uh, essentially it became a, a, a situation of if you choose to do that, you're just going to continue to face fine. At, at the bare minimum, you're going to be facing fines. And um there, I mean, and that definitely was occurring that there was, there was guys who made that decision to, to, you know, uh, throw, throw fists or, or do whatever other things were, were in contravention of the rules. And, and then there was going to be penalties, um, for that. So no, that's, that, that, that's very true. As far as what happened afterwards, I'm, I'm not sure. So I think you were, were you saying that Mike? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's something happened. The let well, that's what I was just asking about, like that UFC, like in particular, if you if you knew what happened, because I've heard like some just insane stories about that with like yeah, Ken, I mean, Ken Shamrock, Dan, Dan Severn rematch, big hype fight, literally nothing happened for half an hour, and you can't really fault either one of them either because like they're probably like. I don't know. They don't want to get arrested. They don't, they're probably also cautious. Like, you know, they're fighting each other. They're both two highly skilled guys where, you know, one person makes a small mistake that can change the, the outcome of what can happen. Oh, sure. And I, but I mean, there were some, I think there was also some pretty, pretty uh, interesting uh, athletes that fought in that card. That might've been when uh, Mark Schultz fought Gary Goodrich and just went total wrestling on him and kept putting him down on the ground, like just kept shooting takedowns and stuff like that. So there were some, there were some interesting athletes that, that fought on that card for sure. But you're, you're absolutely on point about there being issues with the rules. And that, that may very well have been it. If you don't do it this way or you don't agree to do it this way, 
this uh, this car is not taking place. And because so much was on the line in terms of trying to generate revenue through pay-per-view, now you know, you're, you're, you're kind of stuck. So what are you going to do? You're not going to run the event or you're going to run the event and say, okay, you know, we're going to be incurring costs because of uh, penalties for, for um, uh, contraventions to the rules. Then, then that's something that they're, they're going to deal with. Right. But no, that's, that's very on point. Do you think like ever like on a professional level, an MMA tournament style, same night would ever happen again? Or do you think a promotion would never take the risk of doing that just because of obviously head trauma or just they just don't want to get into that type of business? Uh, and it, the interesting thing is because Bellator was trying to do something like that. They, they were doing yeah. um, four-man tournaments. I think Phil Davis was one of the guys who fought it, but they, they it was really adjusted. So it wasn't um, three-round matches. Things were kind of changed to be able to make that work. But I think um, because the, the, because MMA really did become a sport and now it, they're, they're sanctioning bodies and there, there's a lot of, a lot more consideration in terms of rules and safety standards and protocols and so on. I think it'd be very difficult to, to sell that to an athletic commission. Cause at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it, w- it would be an athletic commission that would have oversight of that kind of thing. And that I think would be a really hard sell depending on where it is but i think um you would probably see consistency um at at least as far as north america goes if they decide to take it overseas that might be a little bit different but um yeah Yeah. his mike combat jujitsu do they do tournament style i think they do combat jujitsu is uh i think they do like an eight-man bracket and and they and they, and they beat the shit out of each other in those combat jujitsu yeah. matches. Like it's pretty intense. Some and mm. also, some of them kind of look like pancreas. I mean, standing there's not like a stand up striking element, but if you're in someone's guard, you can fucking smack the shit out of people. Like you know, <laughs> Gordon Ryan did. <laughs> Andre Galvao and went all. Oh, tr- well, what all? Five, five fingers, save the face. <laughs> oh, yeah. there's there- there's already plenty of memes of uh, Eddie Bravo grinning ear to ear about uh, you know, oh, yeah. slaps and like being integrated into into jujitsu competition, right? So, uh, you know, who who knew? Who knew? It's it's hey. it's an it's an interesting take. Hey, maybe Eddie Bravo calls up those boys and they go, hey, we're we're gonna do combat jujitsu. Let's do it now. Like maybe that's the next match. Is combat jujitsu Andre versus Gordon? ADC doesn't that, want to run it. Flow grappling doesn't want to do it. Maybe that's it. I mean, if 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 the if the price is right, yeah. um, never never say never. I think I think Gordon's an incredibly intelligent guy. He seems to be very uh, astute in terms of finances, investments, and and what makes sense financially. Like obviously, things have gone really well with his um, uh, his his digital series and stuff like on BGJ Fanatics going uh teaching seminars and 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 so on so if it made sense financially never never say never you know i don't i I, i'm guessing that maybe he he sees the value in just sticking with um like no gi competition regardless of what the rule set is and he obviously he's doing extremely well with it but um i think like if he's a numbers guy and and the numbers compute hey you, you never know There'll, there'll certainly be a lot of interest now. That's for sure. 
definitely wherever that match potentially happens there there will definitely be a ton of interest um one one thing i wanted to cover with you so now we we talked about a lot of like the you know the past training with the lions Dan, how did you uh get reacquainted with uh bjj and your your journey there okay um so when i came back home i i basically went back to school um and uh, it's like, you know, you, you're, you, you invest so much time in doing something. It's like you, you want to continue, but, you know, there was no, um, there was no like ranking system. Like, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you have a ranking system with what, what Lions Den was, which was submission fighting. It, there wasn't like some type of a formalized ranking system. So uh, initially it's kind of like being nomadic and you just start tr- training with, there's clusters of people and in the six degrees of separation, you start meeting people, but um, there was a guy that I had met, um, like through that nomadic training, Jerry DeSanto. Um, and, uh, he was initially linked up with Roberto Atala and then eventually started training with, uh, Helio Seneca Moreira. So I started training with, with Jerry. And, uh, so I, I got promoted to blue belt training with Jerry. He brought, uh, Seneca in and, um, Jerry was, was a real go-getter. So we ended up doing uh, the first New York open. So we did the, the IBGGF tournament and uh, that's when it's like, all right, you know what, this is cool to be back in the group. Cause I was doing the, the, uh, the jujitsu scene in like 90, what would it have been like 96 or 97, or maybe even a little bit before that, when it was like, no, gi, no problem or no rash guard, no problem. You just, right. You just, just, just to wear a gi top and shorts. So you're doing sandals. Oh, yeah but you're still just, just come, just come on in boys. <laughs> you got it. Oh yeah. That's exactly what it was. But uh, so I, I did that IBGF tournament and it's like, you know, this, it was a good go. It went really well in spite of a horrible weight cut. And uh, I, I decided I was going to do the Mundials in 2009. I think that would have been. And um, I ended up training at fight club with Vince Matei. And uh, so basically everything kind of picks up from, from training with Jerry DeSanto to then training with Vince Matei, earn my purple and brown with Vince Matei. And, um, and then life happens. And now I'm training at Niagara BJJ with like Kevin Mans, Reggie Traver, Scott Jutris. Uh, mm-hmm. um, like there, there's just, I've been very fortunate. There's, there's many amazing people that I've had a chance to train with. And then uh, obviously getting linked up with, with Fernando uh, getting promoted through Fernando. And, um, so, I mean, that's, we've probably really glazed over it, but now obviously being at the point where, you know, we're ready to, to pull the trigger on Stony Creek BJJ and, and get that up and running. But that's kind of, that's kind of really what happened is just training, training with, uh, training with the people who were at that time, um, you know, dedicated to it. They, they had a, a lineage and, uh, you know, they're all on that path to, to reach the like black belt rank is that Jerry was a Brown belt at the time when I, when I was training with them, Vince, I think he already had his black belt. Now he's, I mean, he's probably two seconds away from his fourth degree black belt. So it just goes to show you the guys that have put in the time, they're all like senior ranking dudes. Right. So, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of, that's a very, I think glazed over version, but that's kind of how, how that played out. No, perfect. Like, especially like, so like when you look at like competing now, like obviously nobody's really competed this year, but is that kind of something you're trying to get back into moving forward, especially at a blackout level and master's division? Absolutely. So um, 
I, after I competed at Nogi World in 2012, um, I, I ultimately discovered I had a herniated disc, had back surgery, so I, I was uh, on the shelf for a while, but decided to get back into it. So I, as a brown belt, I had registered for Nogi Worlds and um, uh, caught up with Paul Federici. So Paul and I flew out to California. We competed. It, both, it went really well for both of us. And um, that kind of definitely reignited that fire to, to want to continue. And I need to be certainly more mindful now, like, like post-back surgery and such. And now really ramping things up to, to get into black belt competition. But, but for sure, like... I, I know that I definitely want to compete moving forward in, in the core, the core guys that'll be involved with the gym. So Paul Federici, Bill Van and Buchel, uh, we all want to definitely uh, like apply ourselves to black belt competition to see where it goes. So, you know, w- once things start to subside for sure. And like, I would definitely want to pursue the, the, the big events as well. Like through, through IBJJF. I'm, I'm a big fan of IBJJF tournaments. Uh, I know there's a lot of controversy with, with that uh, organization, but uh, I have become a fan of the way they operate. And I would definitely, I, I not, I would, I will definitely per- pursue competition like moving forward for sure. As will those guys. Definitely. I think the IBGGF, I think they run like the most, you know, time efficient tournaments that there is. Yes. They're, they're highly organized. They've been doing it for so long. And um so, and that's what, another thing I was going to ask you about is, you know, competing, because you talk about competing, you know, way back in the, the, the Sambo jiu-jitsu days in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gi jacket, bottoms optional. But, you, go, you got it. <laughs> but to now, like, what are, what are some things that you, you've liked, like, in the changes and, like, even, maybe even, like, rule sets, like, things like that. What are some things that you've liked that have changed from, like, the nineties when you're competing to, to now. Like the, the, the irony is that it's almost like you're seeing in a way, almost seeing a revolution because the IBJJF, I think they recognize the need to, to get more committed to, to leg submission. So the fact that now they're looking to move or, well, I mean, we're obviously removed from it, but what, whatever is taking place in, um, in the, in the U S you know, now for the brown belt, black belt level, now they're allowing all the leg submissions that they weren't allowing before. So like the heel hooks and such, I think that's amazing. Um, the, like the irony for me is that that was a major part of my game back in the 90s. But then when I started to focus on on jujitsu and wanting to pursue um, advancement, now we're in the gi, we're, we're really just kind of focusing on upper body submissions and such. So I found myself moving away from it, whereas moving forward now, especially in Nogi, which I feel uh, I'm able to apply myself much more as opposed to Gi, I definitely would want to kind of get reacquainted with, with, with the leg attacks and, uh, and kind of see where things go. But um, you know what, you, you see so many different uh, like styles in the competition and something that I had become accustomed to was uh, I, I don't want, I don't want to just hit the deck. I want to stand up. I want to fight to get to the ground. I want to score my points to get down to the ground and uh, tr- try and find that opportunity for the submission, but make sure I'm playing a dominant game. And it, it almost seems like that's a style into itself, which maybe some people fight that way, but maybe it's, there's, there's such incredible skill out there that you'll get people who will just hit the deck and, and they're ready to go and they're already on the ground. Whereas I, I, I don't want to do that. I want to stand up and I want to fight for the takedown and kind of see where things go from there. So um, 
I don't necessarily know if that's a real change in the rules, but like that kind of approach is something that, that I'm definitely a fan of. And um, I just look forward to trying to apply that once, once I get the opportunity or once we all get the opportunity to compete again. But I'd say the big thing, at least as far as IBJJF tournaments go, is that they're really ramping things up as far as the leg attacks, which puts them a little, on a little bit more of a competitive level as compared to say like, like ADCC or, or other, other major events, which are obviously like open season as far as submissions go. Yeah, I think with their rule changes, and especially in the adult divisions or um, the uh, brown and black, with them adding the leg locks in there, that'll definitely kind of it's going to change the game, and it's going to change the way athletes will approach the divisions moving forward, which I think is a good thing. Oh, for sure. I mean, um, I think back in the day, if you're in a BGJ tournament, and you try to to use some type of leg attack, but the audience would probably throw rocks at you or something like that. And it, it wasn't until Comprito won a Mundial, but I think it was like a total. Uh, um, uh, Ricardo Amendolia had with, like with all of his stuff that he shows, and, and there was the mm-hmm. footage of Comprito. And I'm pretty sure that that fight, and that would have been maybe late nineties. Um, yeah, that I mean, it was like ninety eight, ninety nine, maybe, and right. Like, yeah. Yeah. He won, uh, I think he won the absolute division with a toehold, which is like, yeah, you, you think of a toehold now, you're like, oh, a toehold. But like in the 90s, you're like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, the, the crowd goes bananas. They love it. And 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 things really take off. And I think um, the, the the real the real top level people recognize the value in it. And there was something that John Danner put out. Uh, just like putting some respect to Dean Lister saying, you know, Lister comes through maybe around 2000 or so rolling with the guys going for the leg attacks they have a little discussion and he says why would i ignore 50 percent of the body and you got someone like dan or who who is all about the scholarly discourse and he has his his beliefs in terms of how how he trains and, and his approaches but he's also willing to assess everything that's going on if he recognizes that there's a better way to go uh certainly he through kind of like like rigorous efforts he's going to improve practice and make sure that that his guys are, are doing much better so you just see that they, that things are evolving in in that regard and that, and that people are recognizing the value in, in the leg attack right so yeah yeah i think the evolution especially with uh danaher systematically putting all his information and having these guys come out with that system and especially having success in it, I think it's just that extra added layer of success and you're going to get more evolution, more evolution moving forward as the game continues. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's incredible how, you know, he's able to really deconstruct things and, and, and really look at it to, to optimize the, like, like the technique, because when you have that proficiency and then you start to plug in the athleticism, the explosiveness, the strength, and so on and so, so, so forth, you have, you're, you're basically creating like un, unbeatable athletes. And that's why I think the, 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 the Danaher guys do so well is that they're so technically sound. They're, they are mentally tough and they all have the, the actors. They look like Mickey Rod. Right. So maybe he hasn't been training in, in, uh, in BGJ so long, but like you have an incredible degree of athleticism, incredible wrestling base. And now you, you have like tier one training partners and you have a genius as, as a BGJ coach plugging all this stuff into you. So is it really a surprise that he goes in and, and, and he, and he medals at the ADCC world? 
No, it's it, it's not. So it's, I think it's just a testament of the, of the quality of the technique, but also the, the the quality of the room, the training partners that you have, and, and the people that you're receiving instruction from. And it's it's not just Dan Hur; it's all it's all those guys. Like Nikki Ryan seems to be like an incredibly razor sharp instructor, and he's and he's 17, 18 years old. So it's remarkable stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of to, to to finish up a note. Um, what's uh, so after you know getting through all this in 2021, like what's next for you in the future? Like what tournaments, I know you mentioned you're opening, you know, Stony Creek BJJ. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What's, what's next for you this year? So, you know what, right now it's, um, we're just, just trying to weather the storm with the pandemic, like everybody else is. Um, my, my, my best friend, Phil Van and Buchel, this, this goes back to, to Brock like 20 something years ago. Um, you know, we, we, we meet in the wrestling room, we train together and, you know, we have almost that fireside chat of, you know, one day we're going to open up a gym and now it's actually coming to fruition, which is, which is incredible. And, um, you know, he's, he's a man on fire. He probably misses calling being like a project manager because the way he's been able to, to procure resources, trades and so on and so forth, things are, are really pushing forward and we're on, we're at the brink where we can, we're preparing to hit the ground running because of everything that he's doing on the project management side of things. Um, Paul Federici, a really good friend, someone I met through, through Jerry and we we've been friends for, for like 15 years at least. Um, Paul, Paul's going to jump on board with us as well. And like, if, if the BJJ um, people from, from Hamilton, Halton, Niagara was like its own city, I think Federici could arguably be like the mayor. So it's, it's just, it's pretty <laughs> wild that we, that we bring all of these people together. But um, at this point in time, we're, we're just trying to be very strategic. we got a rock star of a landlord who was really cool with us uh, as far as setting up our lease. So there are provisions in place um, if things go sideways with the pandemic and if there's subsequent waves and so on and so forth. So that's a real critical thing. So we're very thankful for that. And uh, really, we just we want to be prepared to to hit the ground running. So once that opportunity is there to, to, to get after it, we we will have leveraged everything that we reasonably can so that we can safely get to training and and try and get some normalcy back. Right. But um, that, that's really where it is, man. Just trying to weather the storm. Um, and, and yeah, man, just try, try and stay safe and healthy. Yeah, that's amazing. I know I'm really looking forward to obviously you guys getting up and running, obviously with like all these other clubs that want to get up and running, but we definitely want to come out there and take a look at it and hopefully do another podcast. Definitely out there for sure. That's amazing, man. No, it's, it's good. And like, there, there is such an incredible uh, a sense of community. I think, you know, it's it, that six degrees of separation. We all know each other one way or another. And um, I mean, the grand scheme of things, like there's, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're we all have the, the same goal, which is to get back on the mats and, and, and just get that community going back and like reinvigorate the camaraderie and stuff. And um, we, we just need to kind of weather that storm and, and just be prepared to, to, to get back to it. Right. It's, it, it's horrible to, to see the effects that it has had because there's some people who I think very, very highly of that, uh, that, that took, um, you know, such, such a devastating hit with the pandemic and their gyms closed and stuff like that, like great people. And, and it's a shame. And just like, I think this, this venture of, of, of getting into, to, to the gym business has given me a total new respect for, for, for small businesses 
and, and, and the challenges they have just to even to, to get up and running, let alone to become sustainable. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible uh, learning experience and incredible journey, but yeah, man, like we're, 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 we're eager just like everybody else just to, 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 to get back to this and get things going, man. So I, I do wish everybody well, stay safe and healthy and, and uh, let's, let's get to this. Before we wrap up, we always like to let our guest um, shout out anybody or thank anybody before we wrap. So uh, anybody you want to shout out before we start? You know, um, like, like obviously, like my 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 business partner Phil Van and Buechel, he's, he's been an incredible leader, and we wouldn't be where we where we are right now without the you know his leadership, the project management, taking things on. Um, Paul Federici, who you know, Don and I do love the guy, um, and you know, we're really happy to have him on board as well. Uh, Fernando Zulik, Gringo, and, you know, just everything that he's done for us in terms of, you know, be, being willing to take us on um, uh, within the, the Gringo family and, and, and serving as an affiliate in the, in the Hamilton area. Uh, Niagara BJJ, Kevin Mann, Scott Jutris, all, all the guys over at Niagara BJJ. Um, yeah, man, just I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to, to, to all those guys and all the people that have influenced me along the way because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's the knowledge that's been passed along that's, that's got me to where I am. So, you know, like Jerry DeSanto, Vince Matei, all those guys, man, it's, it's a big part of, of who I've become. And, you know, I'm going to do my best to, to just kind of keep pushing forward. So thanks to all those guys. This is great. No, we'll, we thank you very much for coming on today. We really do appreciate it. Awesome job. I really wish you all the best, especially in the future. Nice, and then uh, we'll definitely come out there and train with you. Would love to have him in. Right on, right definitely. on. We look forward to seeing you guys for sure. Definitely, we'll come out and we'll come out very soon in person. Hopefully, yeah, yeah for I, sure. I look forward to. It. We all, we will all look forward to it, guys. I think we're all yeah. looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, I think so, man. I think so. Awesome. All right, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Bye, man. All right. Bye, Bye everybody. Guys.